Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. This is the second hour live on the ACR network, of course, the alternate current radio network. Uh, but we're also streaming out at 21stCenturyWire.com. And uh, if you missed the live broadcast, you can tune in to the archive, uh, which will be in podcast form. Uh, minutes after the show, you can download it onto your device, uh, or you can listen to it streaming off of our website at your leisure. Thank you for joining us in the second hour. And, uh, we were talking before the break, uh, about the, how the media constructs the narrative and how that amazingly seems to fit perfectly into place with whatever the, uh, policies of government du jour are. And we talked about the Patriot Act and the sunset of the Patriot Act in a few weeks and how the Garland, Texas shooting, uh, does play right into the hands of those who would like to, uh, renew the Patriot Act. So there's that. And of course, the Arab delegation visiting Washington this week or today, in fact. Uh, and so everything's on heightened security alert. It's all very neatly packed in lovely little story. But uh, in case you missed it last Sunday, uh, there was a, a shooting in Garland, Texas. This is a suburb outside of Dallas. And uh, two allegedly two gunmen rolled up in a black sedan. And uh, we don't know if they actually got out of the car or how far they got out of the car. But apparently they were stopped in their tracks by a uh, security guard. Uh, two sh- shots to the head um, killed them. Uh, apparently that's what we're told. And then I guess everyone else who had a gun in the area just unloaded on the vehicle for about five or 10 minutes. And you can tell by the state of that car, uh, it looked like it had um, been through the gauntlet in that Clint Eastwood movie. So anyway, uh, we're also told that, uh, there was a SWAT team, 40 officers to guard this, what's called a free speech event. A Mohammed cartoon contest, they're calling it. I mean, it sounds like a school event, right? Well, it's anything but. It's organized by uh, Pamela Geller. She is, uh, among other things, uh, an Israeli um, lobbyist or advocate for Israel. She's an American, or maybe she's Israeli-American. I'm not sure. But she has a couple of uh, uh, tax-deductible charity organizations uh, one of it one of which is called stop islamitize islamization of america and uh, her partner is her most recent husband his name is robert spencer and uh, they mix and mingle with uh, gert vilner and uh, other uh, right wing neo nazis in europe uh, she's often a keynote speaker interesting uh, it's jewish uh, Israeli-American woman, keynote speaker at neo-Nazi events in Europe. This is an interesting nexus, which we can explore later in the show. Uh, but yeah, she's, um, she's, she's got some interesting uh, things to say. So she's organized this uh, free speech event, they call it, and paid 10 grand to have a SWAT team, special ops team. They look like, uh, mercenaries from maybe from Kraft International in Dallas. Who knows? But, uh, and you don't get arms like these guys just by lifting weights, if you catch my drift. Uh, really freakishly um, bulky uh, mercenaries. 
So they were all in place before the event. So they were expecting something, apparently. And uh, lo and behold, something arrived. So we're going to talk about that Garland, Texas domestic terror event with our next guest. His name is Kurt Haskell. Uh, Kurt is, among other things, I would say a whistleblower, um, witness to the uh, Detroit, the, uh, the attempted Detroit underwear bombing, uh, the flight from Amsterdam to Detroit. Uh, and Kurt was a witness to that. He's also a legal analyst and a former uh, U.S. Um, or a former attorney working in the U.S. Uh, not any longer. He's retired from the law profession, I'm told. But uh, Kurt has been on the show before. We had Kurt on uh, in the aftermath of the Charlie Hebdo attacks in Paris, and we broke that down uh, pretty much in detail and didn't leave too many stones unturned in that analysis. So I just saw this almost as an identical repeat of the Hebdo event uh, in many, many ways. So that's why we brought on Kurt. So, Kurt, thank you for joining us this week at the Sunday Wire. No problem. Glad to be back, Patrick. Yeah, um, it's great to have you back, Kurt, although it's not great to be talking about this event because it seems like this would be great if we didn't have to deal with this sort of thing. It's happened again. And, uh, I don't know if you were following this event from the, from the beginning, but when I saw this, I, if, if you didn't, in other words, if you'd been, if you've been swallowing the blue pill with regards to the Charlie Hebdo attacks, then this would just look like another crazy terrorist event on U.S. soil. But if you had studied the Charlie Hebdo event and looked at all the anomalies and all the similarities to other, sta- uh, absolutely staged terror events, then Garland, Texas, looks like just another one in a series of uh, what looks to be incredibly elaborately staged terrorist attacks, or meant to look like terrorist attacks, and this time now on U.S. soil, and an incredibly politically charged uh, conversation, which is happening already, and uh, fear-mongering seems to be an hourly affair now, not just daily or weekly, but an hourly affair. If you turn on any of the U.S. broadcasting giants and read the papers, it's just completely obsessed with ISIS has infested America. Uh, what do you make of this, Kurt? Yeah, you know, you're right. If you just read the, the headlines on the story, well, you would think, well, the Muslims are at it again. And I would say that's what the huge, a huge majority of the U.S. would think. You really have to dig deep into the details to figure out and see what's really going on. You know, you have to look at the initial reports. And what's always a big tip-off to me are the contradicting initial stories. You know, we see this with almost every terrorist attack. And it was very obvious in Hebdo, uh, you know, and even in this one, where you have conflicting reports of important details of the case that if you were a witness, you would not get wrong. And to me, that's always the big tip-off with these false flag events. But, of course, you know, the extreme coincidences like this happening while the renewal of the Patriot Act is being discussed and, you know, as a follow-up to not only Charlie Hebdo but the Copenhagen shooting, too. So we have three of these similar type events here within uh, a three-month period. And it just stretch, it stretches the imagination that, you know, these are all unrelated and that they're all legitimate. And I don't think any of them are legitimate, honestly. 
Yeah, and the first thing that stuck out immediately uh, when I saw this event was that the it was organized by Pamela Geller, and uh, she's. Uh, I don't know. There's not a lot of good things we can say about this woman, although she's being held up as an American hero uh, by the likes of uh, Sean Hannity at Fox News, uh, Michael Savage, and they just spent the best part of this week uh, worshiping Pamela Geller as he's some sort of American hero, and she's championing our free speech. Well, that's a whole other conversation we can get into about the merits of uh, what, 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 what many are calling this uh, free speech event. Uh, that's, let's put that off to the side for a moment. We'll get back to that. But, uh, she's an interesting character in herself and we find out that, uh, she was, uh, possibly avoided, uh, federal prison. Um, her and her late husband ran a car dealership in Long Island, I believe, um, selling cars to people, uh, with fake IDs. In other words, people providing fake IDs to get cars. One of the cars was used as a getaway car, uh, I believe, in a, in, in a cop killing uh, in New York City. So, you know, when I look at these sort of situations, Kurt, and I look at these, these, these characters with these criminal pasts, and then all of a sudden they become actors uh, in the media sphere, do, involved in some absolutely crazy things. Um, I'm a little suspicious that, you know, maybe they cut a deal at some point to play some role to be some person to to carry out. And maybe they want to do it anyway. They don't mind. She happens to be uh, pro-Israel to the hilt uh, and all the rest of it. But I don't know. I'm a little suspicious of Pamela Geller. Well, me too. You know, you, you have to look at some of these cases like you're talking about where regular people would get some jail time and people like Pamela Geller or uh, one of the shooters here, uh, El- I think his name was Elton Simpson. Elton Simpson, right? yeah, yeah. Elton Simpson. Okay, Elton Simpson uh, was convicted of some terrorism charges only a few years back, and he didn't get any jail time either. He, he was sentenced to probation only. So you have to at least, you know, critical thinking people have to think about why and in how many cases have you seen someone convicted of terrorism charges actually receive no jail time and for me i can't even think of any you know that's usually something the government comes down hard on people for and they get very long sentences for even what would seem to be some sort of minor terrorism charge and this guy gets probation so i'm on the same wave wavelength with you here that uh, you know, is there some sort of repayment being done to the federal government? We'll give you probation here and somewhere, you know, somewhere down the line here, you're going to pass back by doing what we ask. So, yeah, it definitely raises questions with me. Yeah, and also uh, anyone who fronts an organization called Stop the Islamization of America, uh, it, it has a tax charity charitable 501c tax status this um i think it's 501c this organization and you know you look at the donors and the people who pump money into these these organizations that she fronts um now if someone had and i'm i'm not saying that i would want to do this but if someone had started a organization called 
This is Geller's organization. Stop the Islamization of America. Islamization. So stop Islam in America, basically. If someone else had started an event called Stop the, for instance, or Stop the Jewification of America, um, how far do you think they would get down the road <laughs> before they would be absolutely shut down? Um, and so I see these as instigatory uh, front organizations. The other one is the American Freedom Defense Initiative. This is the the group that fronted this Garland, Texas, so-called free speech event uh, in Garland, Texas. The American Freedom Defense Initiative. So if you look at, they're, they're saying that their argument is that uh, the, the, the Muslims are taking over America. Well, uh, and again, if you parallel this with people who are anti-Semitic, you know, the, po- the Jewish population of America is what? It's 2%, maybe, maybe less, I don't know, um, 2% or something like that. And the, the Muslim population in America, I would think would be below 1%, uh, maybe 0.01% or something like that might be a fair assessment. It's not very much. So it, it, I, it's hardly the, the threat of a Sharia law takeover. You see this hyperbole in the media quite a lot, especially on Fox and on talk radio in the United States, nonstop. In fact, Sharia law, Sharia law, Sharia take, I mean, it's not going to happen. You know, maybe if there's some massive uh, immigration influx of Muslims into the United States, it might happen in 250 years that they might achieve some level of uh, demographic parity akin to maybe Hispanics or Latinos in 200 years or something like that. But it's not going to happen anytime soon, not in any of our lifetimes. Uh, that the Muslim population in America will be to such a degree that they would be carving out uh, Islamic enclaves inside the United States. It's a joke. Okay, it's a joke. But it, it's, a, it's a joke that's getting a lot of mileage uh, with certain political factions within the United States because it plays on people's fears. So, so Pamela Geller, to me, is an instigator and she's created an instigatory situation. And quite frankly, Kurt, uh, I have a hard time believing that someone would fork out $50,000 to have an event, give away 10000 for the first prize to the artist who best depicted the Prophet Muhammad uh, in order to inflame and incense uh, uh, Muslim people in the United States and around the world. Now, 50 grand, that's a lot of money just to throw around to make a point. Uh, but it seems like it's more than just making a point, Kurt. It seems like this was part of a uh, Hegelian dialectic event, problem, reaction, solution. And she's going all over the media saying, oh, my God, look, it happened. You know, the very thing that we feared the most, and I hired a SWAT team and paid them 10 grand. Uh, to, to stop this very thing, and boy, did we stop them. They did show up, in fact, right on time, and, and we shot and killed them. I mean, it's just too perfect, Kurt. <laughs> it, it borders on the ridiculous, really. Uh, Pamela Geller is supposed to be a housewife from New York, and she's putting up $50,000 for security and uh, 10000 more 
for the first place prize, it borders on the ridiculous. I mean, who's going to do this? Unless, of course, you know that you're going to receive more than that back by putting on this event. And how would she know that? Well, imagine all the publicity her organization is going to get after this false flag shooting. Um, and, of course, there's no proof this false flag shooting even took place at all. I mean, you have two people allegedly killed, but no bodies or anything. You have a security guard allegedly wounded, but he's the first one in history to ever leave a hospital in two hours for a gun shooting. A spray, but, sprained ankles. I, I even heard sprained uh, ankle. Okay, yeah, I mean, it, it takes me two hours in the emergency room to even be seen by a doctor, and this guy was already out the door, so he didn't, he didn't have a gun wound. No way. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but it, I'm getting a little off course, but um, you have to question... Uh, so even if she did, even if she did put up the money, I have to think that her group knew that there would be a false flag event or planned it. Or the alternate scenario is that, you know, this once again is an intelligence plot where you have the intelligence agencies putting up the money for security, knowing that there's going to be this false flag event here. It's just... You know, too, everything's just too coincidental here. And then, of course, you see her, Pamela Geller, all over the media where, uh, you know, like you said, she's being praised as a hero. But let's switch this up and say that Muslims were putting on an anti-Semitic event. Jewish people came by, caused some sort of ruckus. Uh, do you think the the organizer of the event would be all over U.S. media being praised as a hero? No, absolutely not. They would be demonized. There would be calls for new laws against this sort of thing, kind of like in Europe where you can't even talk about the Holocaust negatively or you go to prison. So it's a very, uh, very much a double standard in the U.S. Uh, you know, talking negatively about Muslims, free speech. Talking negatively about Jews, while well, you're an anti-Semitic hater. Very much a double standard, but that has to do with uh, the Zionist in basically in complete control of the U.S. media these days. So there's very much an agenda there, and you know. So, you, so you're saying it's a selective that you throwing that, uh, that that platitude of free speech around is is it's a very selective platitude, isn't it? Oh, it's a one way street, without question. This this would never ever be treated the same way by the pro-Zionist media in the U.S. if it was Muslims doing event, an event just like this. No way. Absolutely not. Not, not just that, Kurt. Uh, only a few weeks ago, uh, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, some students uh, had some uh, event or uh, I don't know if it was a party or an event, and it, they had the, the Confederate flag was, was displayed as part of the, the promotion, and they, it was shut down. Because people found that image offensive, the Confederate flag. Now, whether you're uh, whatever side of the Mason-Dixon line you want to fall on under north or south, that was not deemed as appropriate free speech in America and not protected or anything. They just shut it right down, and the media didn't rush to their defense either. And here we have the situation in Garland, I mean, which is, to me, uh, has nothing to do with free speech. I don't think this... This is, I think when the founding fathers put the free speech provision in the U.S. Constitution, I think the main part of it wasn't about their right to, uh, 
to offend people. It was about protecting people who were dissenting against a tyrannical government. Right. I agree. So, you know, what what needs to be done about this, if anything? You, either, you have to have it one way or the other. You either have to have all this offensive speech banned, which to me is against the First Amendment, or you have to allow it all. You can't have this selective, this is okay and that's not okay uh, situation that occurs in the U.S. now. Um, so, you know, I... It just seems that the U.S. has gone so far to to be pro-Israel, anti-Muslim that it, it stretches the imagination. Really, it's just from 14 years of propaganda now uh, after 9/11 that we're in this situation. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm sure you would agree with me when I would say that Israel had a big role in 9/11, and to me, that's where the line is where. The U.S. has gone full pro-Zionism since that day and anti-Muslim. That's the that's a big shift in U.S. history. That event. Yeah, it is, and we can break this down into a number of different areas, and and we're going to come back to what this means in terms of politics and in terms of the political mindset of the United States right now. Um, but first of all. Pamela Geller did not put up the money. She did not put up the 50 grand. I'll bet you this came from her foundations or her charitable foundations. Um, they were, and who are the donors to those foundations? Well, you can go and check that out. But yes, money can be laundered through these organizations. Uh, so f- uh, she definitely didn't pay for it herself. Second of all, if, if, now if you're the mayor Kurt of Garland, Texas, or you're the police chief, under normal circumstances, uh, if if somebody is paying the school, you're, you're holding the event at a school auditorium on on a school grounds. I don't know if it was a high school or not, but it wasn't a university. It was it was a, a high school or a junior high. I'm not sure, but um, you're you're holding an event like this on school grounds, and you've got a a, a, a team of marksmen. Highly qualified, uh, f- former U.S. special ops marksmen securing the perimeter of the building while you have 200 people inside. Now, and, and then 40 officers in total providing security. Now, just the fact of the security presence of that size for 200 people wouldn't, uh, if, if it's that much of a risk that you would put that much security on, lay that much security on for the event, wouldn't a a light bulb go off in someone's head thinking, well, this could be a public risk issue here if it's requiring a small army to protect it. It's not like the president's in town, okay? This is someone who's inviting some sort of a reaction. Now, whether that's a real reaction or a staged reaction is neither here nor there. I mean, immediately I'm suspicious there, and why is not anybody not asking that question? And what does the mayor say? Well, the mayor of... Garland, Texas. I think his name is Douglas Althus. And uh, he said the squad team was there uh, in advance. And uh, and they said, well, you know, we believe in our constitutional rights, so that's why we had laid on the security. I'm sorry, but I don't know any mayor in the country that's going to sort of quote the Constitution uh, in this grand fashion. And, uh, you know, in other words, <laughs> you know, buckle down for a siege 
is what it looked like. They're ready for a, an army to come and lay siege to the school and uh, claim that they're doing this on some constitutional principle. I, I don't buy it. No, well, you know, it's hard to say because there's such an anti-Muslim mindset in the U.S. nowadays. And, by the way, I'm not a big pro-Muslim person, so don't take my comments here today to mean that. I'm very neutral in all of this. I'm just stating how I see it. And that he would probably get support for having this anti-Muslim attitude and allowing this event. It would probably cost him more politically banning sort of, this sort of an event from his town. It's kind of how I take it because of all the anti-Muslim propaganda in the United States. But if I was the mayor, I'd say, look, you're not bringing this event to my town. Who knows if the school will be blown up, you know, the... There'll be all kinds of yeah small yeah because we have to put our town on lockdown yeah and who knows if it's going to subject the town to lawsuits by not having enough security etc etc. Well, it would be if if someone actually got shot or any of their participants or someone you know there would be a huge lawsuit and so this we'd have a very different conversation here. There'd be lawsuits against Pamela Geller. There'd be all sorts of lawsuits. Okay, so. And the fact that that didn't happen doesn't surprise me because it looks like a staged event. But if it did, then you'd have some legal ramifications or some liability, perhaps, wouldn't you? You would, because the event is already bringing in um, all this extra private security. So by the fact that you, you're the head of this town uh, and you know that this – event is having to bring in extra security just by pure implication uh it's pointing the finger at you that you're not providing enough security so which could get you in trouble you know under under a civil suit under the law if someone were to get hurt at an event like this so absolutely you know i i would absolutely not allow this in my sort of town due to the potential liabilities however maybe the mayor knew that this was going to be a false flag shooting ahead of time, as some people already knew, or maybe he got some sort of payoff for the town or himself from, you know, an intelligence agency allowing this to happen there. We don't know. It we could be know. a drill too. Um, and a drill. In the case of Seven Seven in London, they're holding a drill on the day. Uh, Visor Consultants Peter Power was uh, fronting a drill that involved a number of, uh, as, as he said, American and Jewish banks in the city of London, and 1,000 people in total participating, including law enforcement and uh, first responder emergency teams. Now, on the morning of 7-7 attacks in 2005 in London, uh, and the drill that they were running happened to be bombs going off at the exact same underground stations and the exact same time as the real bombs that magically went off that same morning. And everyone's just saying, wow, what a coincidence that this happened. So everyone was in place. Everyone was running uh, a, a multi-agency drill uh, with a privatized command structure. And that's another thing you'll see uh, in, in, in Charlie Hebdo, uh, in London, uh, in, in other places like this, you'll see this kind of privatized command structure as well. It seems to be s- somewhat independent. And 
that's what happened. So it's a dr- it could easily have been a drill, and then oh my gosh, the drill went live. Can you imagine? Uh, a real terrorist actually showed up in the middle of this drill. Isn't it great that we had all this law enforcement in place and we had a SWAT team in place? I mean, wow. Well, I'm so glad that we were prepared. Uh, it just all worked out so well. And, and uh, the fact that, uh, we're, you know, even the, 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 the pro gun crowd, uh, in Texas is, you know, beating their chest saying, don't mess with Texas, you know, all these sort of spinoffs. And then the, the, on the left, the gun control crowd saying, how did these uh, two terrorists get a hold of these firearms in Arizona? You know, so everyone's basically trying to get a piece of the action. You know, yeah, you, you know, it's it's always amazing when all the, the terrorists show up with automatic weapons, but it just seems their their aims not very good. Like like in this incident, two people show up with automatic weapons, but they can't even wound anybody. And uh, an officer with just a pistol takes both of them out, even though they had automatic weapons and full body armor. I mean, come on. And, and the other thing is, all of the attendees to this event were from out of state. This is according to the organizer, that, uh, or at least outside of Texas, but I believe outside of state. So everyone who attended, who bought in a, a ticket in advance, completely controlled. The, the public could not attend this event. You had to be pre-approved. And have quote bought a ticket. I think they cost about sixty dollars uh, to have a ticket to attend this event. And only then, and only then, can you be allowed to attend. And then you're locked inside a secure facility with uh, a military, uh, pretty much a military attachment securing the perimeter of this thing. This is totally compartmentalized, completely controlled. Every aspect from the PR to the event itself, to the law enforcement, to the SWAT teams, to the mercenary guys who are... Garland doesn't have... These guys don't work for the city of Garland, okay? Garland's a a suburb of Dallas. Garland's SWAT team are not these uh, guys pumped with steroids, okay? They're subcontracted. They're probably from a Merck outfit, maybe Kraft International in, uh, in Dallas, you know, craft. I've seen them on, on some major events as well, uh, like Boston. <clears throat> but uh, that's another side. So, in other words, uh, completely compartmentalized. This would be the ideal drill scenario. And then they're posing with pictures with everybody. I've got a few of them posted on our website. People are just posing with pictures, and they're just kind of casually joking and laughing afterwards. It didn't seem like there was a t- an attempted terror attack. And then... On top of that, and then the crowd breaks into song and pulls out the American flag and singing God Bless America. And that was the imagery that was running on Fox, which was, you know, uh, our, our boys, our military was there to save the day. The flag is being waved. Songs are being sung. Uh, two dead uh, uh, ISIS sympathizers outside. Uh, a success. Don't mess with us. Uh, free speech forever. Hoof, 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 hoorah, you know. That's kind of like how it played out in very short space of time uh, on the U.S. media. Yeah, it's just ridiculous, especially what somebody just happened to have a giant American flag there in the crowd. Of course, uh, you know, you know that that would be on my list of items to bring to a cartoon drawing contest. I'm, I mean, come on! I mean, come on! Yeah, yeah, the whole thing looks really. You know, and and then instead of evacuating right away, you know, if there's a shooting. My thoughts would be, well, is there a bomb planted in this building? You know, are we safe here? Are there shooters inside? No, they break out into song. 
You know, nobody's taking cover, being evacuated, or anything like that. And you know, the area, the area surrounding the school, instead of doing uh, a lockdown like you saw in Boston, where everybody is ordered to stay in, they evacuate. Yeah, that's right. They didn't. It wasn't shelter in place. It was evacuation. So does that not smack of a, a drill? Exactly. I mean, the two perpetrators that were shot were in a vehicle coming by and and shooting in a vehicle. It's not like they were on foot or at this building or whatever. There could be others in the neighborhood just shooting people at random. Uh-huh. Yep. You don't know. So you evacuate everyone? I mean, come on. That's a, that's a dead giveaway, Kurt. Come the fact on. that they evacuated all the businesses in the area um, is a dead giveaway of a drill rather than a real live terror event. Exactly. I mean, basically, they wanted everyone out of the area so they could control the scene afterward. And by the way, there, where are the pictures of the dead bodies? You know, all you see is what looks like maybe a bo- one body, maybe, from a distance in the dark. But it looks like the body's about three and a half, four feet long. Yeah. Well, that's all classified, Kurt. That's top secret for national security, obviously. So <laughs> you uh, don't, right. don't even think that you'll ever get a peek at, at, at those photos. But, uh, okay, so here's the next stage. So that so we just talked about the physical layout of what happened. Uh, you know, we're talking about the, the brick and mortar aspects of this event. Okay, now here's the here's where the real action seems to be taking place. Now it's on Twitter. So this whole event basically is validated after the fact uh, by uh, a few Twitter accounts, uh, some supposedly belonging to the so-called terrorists who managed to uh, squeak out a tweet while they're in the car or even in the minute before they were attempting to go out on their shooting spree, managed to rattle a tweet off. And then someone who's a uh, ISIS recruiter, Abu Hussein al-Britani, the notorious British hacker, um, I'll, I'll get to this guy in a minute. By the way, so he's hacked or he's taken over one of the shooter's Twitter accounts at the moment of the shooting and uh, said, Alu Akbar, our brothers just opened fire at the Prophet Muhammad art exhibition in Texas, hashtag Texas uh, attack. And then, of course, uh, we go to that account, and it was suspended immediately uh, at that time after that tweet was released. Okay, so what kind of a... You know, someone's in the process of what jumping out, open fire. I mean, is, was it as if this other guy in Britain, this ISIS recruiter, is getting a play-by-play in real time from his buddies? Like, are they're on the phone to him? Hey, brother, we're opening fire now. You know, right before they get shot. You know, it's ridiculous. So this is all validated after the fact on Twitter, and there's prior knowledge, premeditation is all established with Twitter. Uh, anyone can open a Twitter account and put anyone's name on it. I am not sold on this trial by Twitter business. And then I look at this guy, uh, Albertani. Who is he? Okay, Kurt, get ready for it. Albertani uh, supposedly, we're told, hacked Tony Blair's uh, uh, email account or something like that um, in, back, back a few years ago. And guess what? He did hard time in jail and was released magically. And what did he do when he was released? We're told he fled to Syria to join ISIS. 
do you buy all that? And so he's the he's the central character in this Garland shooting. So just hours before that attack, um, that he uh, Albertani uh, Julian uh, Janaid Hussein is his name. He's a, supposedly a twenty. 21-year-old hacker. This is from the Daily Mail, by the way. So within minutes of the first bullets being fired, uh, while the details of the attack were still vague, Hussein posted messages praising the gunmen uh, as Muslim brothers and revealed that their target had been the exhibition where the artists were drawing blasphemous pictures of the Prophet Muhammad. I mean, the media just, they just lap up this Twitter stuff and this seems to be like the, the, the this is the new CSI, Kurt. It's like let's look at Twitter and see what's going on there. Oh, of course, yes, take it at, at, at face value and then use it to fill in all the blanks to glue the whole story together. It's really ridiculous, you know, especially the one tweet that happened at about the time the shooting started. Who's to say that? There wouldn't be a few-minute delay in the shooting, or maybe the clocks were off five minutes each or something. And by placing that tweet, he's putting the two shooters in danger because you're tipping off people at the event because you put it too early. It's just ridiculous. Um, You don't know who's behind the Twitter accounts, uh, and it's not like anyone's going to find that information out except the NSA. So it's a perfect means to spread propaganda. And, you know, of course, within a very short time after the event, we have uh, another anti-Muslim hater, uh, Zionist Rita Katz, and her group Sight coming on the scene by uh, stating that they, by the way, Sight is basically a bunch of college kids hired by Rita Katz to do Internet searches uh, for so-called terrorists or what have you. So, short time after this event, she's coming on Twitter saying, hey, my group found evidence that ISIS is behind this. Uh, We found it in a Muslim chat room that people are admitting uh, that ISIS were the ones behind it. So, again, a very not credible source here, using Twitter again to spread this anti-Muslim garbage, all coming from pro-Zionists. And that's what you have in the U.S. these days. You have Zionist media. You have anti-Muslim pro-Zionist controlling the entire story here. And people take that as, um, you know, neutral evidence that Muslims did this. It's not neutral at all. These people have a great financial incentive behind these events, and not only financially, but religiously because they hate Muslims so much they want them wiped off the face of the earth. So that that was a big tip-off to me when Rita Katz gets involved. Rita Katz's group, of course, being the one to put out the fake Osama bin Laden videos um, 10 years ago or so, you know, where we have bin Laden's beard growing, going from gray then to black in the next video and him going from left-handed to right-handed and skinny to fat. And, of course, all the fake ISIS videos come from Rita Katz's group, too, that she miraculously finds on the Internet before the NSA, FBI, and CIA do. Her little group of college kids find them. And, of course, Rita's group has paid big bucks for these videos by the media so that they can use her videos that she <laughs> finds, uh, in quote, quotes, 
finds she, on the internet. Yeah, she finds them, and then the 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 authorities go to take down the videos and websites. But she has a copy of them, uh, and so she sells them to the U.S. media. And there's a huge so so she's making a lot of money out of that. Yeah, she's making huge money off of it. Huge, especially off the Bin Laden videos. And now, how many ISIS videos have we seen? Well, they they all come from Rita Katz's group S I T E. Now you won't be told that by the U.S. media. They'll just say, you know, uh, this is a a new video from ISIS, allegedly, or they never say for sure. Purportedly, here is ISIS again executing people. If you notice that with the with the ISIS videos, they never say it's for sure. Oh, even the Twitter account, the Daily Mail says a Twitter account understood to belong there to you the go gun, to to the gunman Elton Simpson. So because. CNN does the same as well. They know it's crap. They know it's a lie because they know that, and Rita Katz's group may not be the only one, but for sure her group is putting out these fake videos, and now we see it here on her Twitter account, her little group of college kids, uh, you know, suddenly found all this information that ISIS was behind the Garland shooting before uh, the NSA or CIA or FBI could do that. So why why do we even have the NSA and CIA and FBI? We'll just turn over everything over to Rita Katz. A lot more simple and cheaper to just pay her group, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Pri- yeah. A privatized solution, isn't that wonderful? You know, so R- Rita Katz is an Israeli American, uh, and SIT uh, is her organization. I forgot what it stands for. It's something like the uh, uh, something uh, the, the uh, terrorism, uh, blah blah blah. So, and it sprung out of Intel Center. And Intel Center, uh, who released a lot of the early Bin Laden videos and, and audio threats and, and so forth, they w- were staffed by ex-Pentagon people. So all, all that is, is an, it's an outcrop of the Pentagon. It's like a, a media arm of the Pentagon that's made to look independent, and site is an, is an outgrowth of Intel Center and is based in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, and is right in the middle of Spook Central. And uh, so they, they're used to validate all of these uh, very questionable uh, ISIS videos, like you said. And so the conclusion that the media is meant to swallow, that we're meant to swallow, is that this uh, uh, Al-Bratani or Hussein Al-Bratani, this British hacker, this ISIS recruiter, they like to call him, that he uh, th- that his tweet uh, before the shooting is proof that ISIS knew about the attack in advance so that it it provides the you know pre meditated motive or whatever so that that's what twitter is doing in this instance and so it's and the rest of it is just more uh, uh noise for the story so so here we have this t- t- twitter terror by twitter and some of the stuff is ridiculous. I mean, this one account is called a uh, Sharia of Light. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> the the bro. No, th- this is supposedly from the gunman here. The bro in the bro with me, the bro with me and myself have given Baya to uh, Amir Mujahideen. May Allah accept us as Mujahideen. Make dua with the hashtag again. Hashtag Texas attack. So that, that's a great hashtag from the uh, from the Muslims, uh, supposed Muslim terrorist guys who can't hardly even write, but they're savvy enough to 
do a hashtag that will appeal to the uh, Patriot crowd, Texas Attack. Isn't that interesting? Texas. It's it's utterly ridiculous. There's no proof that as to who is behind the Twitter accounts at all. It could it could be a, a little high school kid that's 13 years old that's playing a joke, oh. and nobody nobody questions it. Sure, or it could nobody. be someone from the CIA or the FBI. Absolutely, or it could just be someone like Pam Geller or Rita Katz that are uh, pro-Zionist, anti-Muslim that have a personal financial stake in the agenda. Yeah, and and so. We can go into details about, you know, Pam Geller's advertising campaigns on New York buses, basically trying to scare people, the saying that, uh, so it, it, that radical Islamists are, uh, the scourge of the U.S. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter with regards to that whole narrative is that, uh, especially we, I saw this really ramping up after the siege in Gaza last summer, uh, when the IDF pounded Gaza and killed 2,500 people injured another 14,000, made homeless another 50,000. And then the ISIS came on exactly the same time as the Gaza siege. ISIS became uh, a huge media campaign uh, in the West. And the ISIS attacks and the beheading videos started coming out. And so the narrative in the U.S. media, at least in the right wing, is that only Israel... This is straight out of Sean Hannity's mouth. Only Israel knows how to stop radical Islam. They're the experts. We need to be shoulder to shoulder with Israel to stop uh, terrorism. Israel's fighting terror, and this is part of Rita Katz's um, uh, advertising camp, multi-million dollar advertising campaigns through the city of New York that um, support Israel, stop terrorism. Okay, so you, you see how the they're trying to move the public away from even talking about the occupation of Palestine and to framing Israel as this great uh, fighter of international terrorism, which I find interesting because ISIS has never said a bad word about Israel since they've come on the scene. Uh, They've never attacked any Israeli uh, targets. And people say, oh, Charlie Hebdo, he he took out a, a kosher supermarket. Well, he was just passing by that kosher supermarket. I don't think it was premeditated, according to the gunman himself. And by the way, did you know that Ahmed Koulibaly, the third gunman in Charlie Hebdo, um, by the way, just we'll get to that, but the one of the gunmen, the Kouachi brothers, at least one, was under surveillance during or right before the Charlie Hebdo attack, same as Elton Simpson here. Koulibaly was actually, I believe, was he not restrained when he was shot? I'm not sure, but that's what I'm told. So, but again, he they're all supposedly dead, so we'll never find out what the real story is, but um, sa- same pattern with Charlie Hebdo as with Garland, Texas, Kurt. Same pattern, for sure, and Copenhagen. So now you have three of these similar attacks, one in France, one in Denmark, one in the United States. So you have to start questioning. Uh, to me, it looks like the same group is behind them all. So who is this group? It has to be some sort of international group. So uh, you have to start thinking that maybe th- this is a huge, huge worldwide intelligence operation. That's at least what it looks like to me. And why? why would there be these 
similar events in three different co- countries pointing all in the direction of Muslims being radicalized and in two of the cases, uh, two of them uh, attacking Jewish people, uh, France and Denmark situations. To me, what this is, there's an, it, it points to an inter- international group that are pointing for an enormous war of Christian, Christians and Jews against Muslims. And I, and I think this has to do with population control, because I think this will be a never-ending fight to the death where hundreds of millions or billions of people die. And I think that's what they want. I, I, I think they just want the landscape wiped out. So, you know, the population of the earth is much lower, and those pulling the strings then, you know, will have all the resources to themselves that are very, very limited. That's kind of how I see this, because it is definitely pointing to an international cabal, with this now being three similar incidences in three different countries. So uh, I don't know. What's your take on that, Patrick? Well, I, what I, little break, I'll break it down into its smaller parts. I know you're giving me a big picture uh, analysis there, what you think that, that in the big picture of history uh, in terms of uh, a new crusades, for instance, or a new... Uh, a new sort of world war initiative, but break it down to its small parts in the United States. What do we have? Uh, all of these, um, instigatory events regarding Muslims are happening in Texas. So, and plus we had a, a fake story by judicial watch about ISIS training camps over the border in Mexico only a few weeks ago. So this uh, this story is meant to validate that story. So even though that story was fake, there are no ISIS camps in over the eight miles over the border in Juarez. They don't exist. But a lot of people uh, went to speculate on that and made a meal out of it and got a lot of coverage with that fake story. So this this false flag, what I believe looks like a staged event uh, in Garland, Texas, is meant to validate fears of ISIS in Mexico fears that the border is not secure, fears that there's a Sharia law takeover. There was another Texas town where they had this uh, major public relations uh, event about passing a law that says that the U.S. Constitution is the law of the land, that Sharia law can't overtake the U.S. Constitution, which was a complete uh, straw man because uh, <laughs> there was no Sharia takeover in this small town if there's somewhere on the near Galveston or something like that. So Texas seems to be uh, a real fertile uh, ground right now for this ca- kind of polarization. So why is that happening? Well, it has to do it must be for there must be a bigger agenda at play. On the regional agenda politically would be uh, secure the border. So this would be make make the border uh, a big issue. So there's going to be a, lo- a, a huge wave of uh, more immigrants uh, trying to make their way over this summer from Central America, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. They'll be trying to come over the border this summer. That'll happen again. So you'll see that whole crisis kickstart once more, and that'll be national news, Department of Homeland Security, and pressure on what are you going to do with the White House, and what are the GOP candidates going to do, who's going to grandstand. Rick Perry will come to the front, and uh, then we'll hear Mike Huckabee, Rand Paul, uh, Ted Cruz and all the rest of them put in their two cents and then blame the president for uh, this horrible situation, which is not has really been the same situation for uh, the last 30 years. But 
Uh, so blame Obama and create more political polarization. So this is using this Islamic thing as a, a kind of a crowbar, but nationally it's, it's for the Patriot Act. Uh, it's for, again, to project power in the Middle East to, uh, get maybe some more military assets on the ground and we need to send weapons, more weapons to our Arab partners there to defeat ISIS. We've got the situation in Yemen. We've got Iran who we're told once a nuclear weapon. I mean, it's just endless how they can, they can just keep spinning this. And Iran is behind ISIS. I've heard this from Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Iran is the number one sponsor of state sponsor of global terror, which is, I haven't seen any proof of this, but I keep hearing it said by Tom Cotton and others, other war hawks. So you have a lot, a lot of these lies and illusions spinning around. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, what, what I see, Kurt, is this traveling troop. Okay. This, this is a military, uh, touring theater group. Okay. Consisting of, uh, you know, various, uh, military, paramilitary people, actors, media people, directors, uh, local organizations. And we have the Sydney cafe shooting with this fake chic. That was all the rage in, uh, December. Before that, we had the Ottawa shooting. Again, those two people under surveillance by security services. One of them was even on a no-fly list. Okay, then we have the situation in Copenhagen where they didn't even announce the time of this event and the shooter shows up. How would he even know? And they didn't even specifically announce who was going to be at the event. And the shooter comes in Copenhagen. This was in February, I believe. Uh, so we have this traveling theater group, it seems. It's international. It's It must be some interagency, but it could be a fifth column within the interagencies because I have been told that there is a kind of uh, alliance between the uh, right-wing uh, pro-Israeli uh, members in certain agencies and in the Senate and that they're perhaps wanting to act independently uh, or they have their own agenda, let's say, that's not the agenda of the White House or even the NSA specifically. Or the CIA. So there's, there's some, there might be some fifth column activity going on, Kurt. And I see, to me, this is taking on a very fascist looking shape in terms of invoking the flag and the uh, constitution as a kind of battering ram with this free speech argument. And this argument I keep seeing coming out saying that, uh, we need to reform uh, the religion of Islam. Uh, the Koran is a terrorist book, and uh, we, there's no way to stop these people. We have to subdue them. Uh, and I see these talking points coming out more and more from the same people. So I see a bigger, a bigger agenda here, which, which is maybe somewhat similar to what you described before. And uh, it's much deeper, and it's much more... Um, it's much more comprehensive in terms of uh, geopolitics and history than just uh, ISIS. Yeah, I, I think I would agree there. I, you know, I think this ISIS group is goes along with the shootings too. It's just a big, a big scam, if you will. Now, does ISIS ISIS exist? 
yes, it exists, but what is it? Who's behind it? It boggles my mind that if this group is so dangerous that the U.S. military isn't strong enough and doesn't have uh, weapons technical enough to wipe them off the face of the earth. You know, especially with a group, a group of ISIS allegedly right on the Mexican border. Well, what does that make me think of? It makes me think of the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we had, you know, nuclear weapons almost placed in Cuba in the early 1960s, and the whole country was up in arms over it. And nuclear war almost happened uh, over the United States' threat to not have the nuclear weapons in Cuba. Yet, we supposedly have this terrorist organization on the border of the U.S., and, and nothing's being done about it. The border's essentially wide open. It doesn't make any sense at all. And it doesn't make any sense at all that this little ISIS group in the Middle East wasn't wiped off the face of the earth by the U.S. military. I mean, I think back to the first um, desert storm where the U.S. attacked Saddam Hussein's army. I, I forget the name of his army, but it was supposedly this super strong army that Saddam had. That the, Repu the, the, Republican, the feared Republican Guard. The there you go. They, they said it was the fourth largest military in the world at the time, which was total bull. There you go. But the United States military cut through them like a hot knife through butter and wiped them out and fast. I mean, just utterly destroyed them, yet this group of ragtag Muslims out in the desert living in caves or whatever now has, you know, all these all this money. They now have a shopping mall, supposedly, a five-star hotel. They're on the U.S. border. You know, they're taking credit for all these events, and the U.S. military can't make any headway against them at all? doesn't make any sense. If that's true, then I think the U.S. military needs to just give it up against ISIS. We'll defund you know, most of the U.S. military, half of it or three-quarters, bring them to the U.S., secure the borders, and be done with ISIS. If the U.S. military is, if we're spending that much on the U.S. military now and it can't take out this group of ISIS, it's worthless. But yeah. that's not what I believe. I believe that the intent was to not take them out, that the U.S. and Israel and Saudi Arabia are behind ISIS, and that's why they continue to exist and grow. Sure, and, and and it's like you with the multi-billion-dollar NSA uh, data gathering and surveillance operation that you can't keep an eye on people who are already on the FBI's books uh, is is a ludicrous uh, situation. But that's not really what's happening. That's what the public's meant to believe. Like, oh, we need more money. We need more uh, resources allocated towards security because you know twenty billion is not enough. Or a hundred billion is not enough. We need more. We need more. Um, but what what I think is interesting, Kurt, is that they keep evoking even on this event when you get the experts out on CNN and Fox, and um, I'll, I'll I'll play one of them actually. Um, they they they're still evoking the uh, the Richard Reed, the shoe bomber. They're still evoking the underwear bomber, the Detroit bomber, uh, Adam Gadon. Uh, Osama bin Laden, all these sort of cutout characters. Um, they're, they're, they're legitimized by the media as these real uh, 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 independent terrorist actors. Uh, when in fact, well, in the case of the first two I mentioned, Richard Reed and the underwear bomber, which you have personal experience with, 
um, they th- th- those weren't independent Al Qaeda terror threats by any stretch of the imagination. Yet they're still they still use those as the main supporting points uh, to to build up the sort of uh, case to be afraid. Right, you know, and what they do, despite overwhelming evidence that these were not legitimate attacks, the media will just ignore that evidence and continue to repeat the lie. And if it repeats the lie enough times, well, the vast majority of the American public will believe it because it trusts its government. So it's really the the government taking advantage of people's trust in it. And maybe people really don't want to see the truth because the truth is really shocking how corrupt the United States government is. But that's what you have here. You know, very early on, you'll get the the evidence and the details of the event. And then, you know, within a couple of days, it's just a a repeat of the official narrative over and over and over again. And the details are are suddenly forgotten. You know, like the the events of 9-11, for instance, all you remember now is, well, there were 19 Muslims with box cutters and they flew planes into the Twin Towers and Pentagon. That's it. All All the other details... Haven't, haven't been repeated since September 2001. Mm-hmm. So they are, they are forgotten. The official narrative has continued to be repeated and drilled into people's minds. So, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you have with those, those other events, too. So here, here's one. I think this is, uh, maybe this might be Fox, uh, this might be a Fox News clip. This is, uh, uh clip number, audio clip number two. Um, go ahead and play this. Just give you a, a case study here. This is Fox this week talking about Garland. Play audio clip number two. Listen Insist to this. They had a hand in Sunday's shootings outside a Prophet Muhammad cartoon contest in Texas. They're warning the worst is yet to come right here in America. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge on the ISIS connection tonight. We begin in Garland, Texas. That's how an Islamic State news bulletin carried on one of its radio stations claimed responsibility for the attack, calling the two American-born shooters, Elton Simpson and Nadir Sufi, soldiers of the caliphate. The White House played down the claim. This is uh, still under investigation by the FBI and other members of the intelligence community uh, to determine any ties or affiliations that these two individuals uh, may have had with ISIL or other terrorist organizations uh, around the world. Uh, So it's too early to say at this point. But the social media traffic suggests there was contact between known ISIS Twitter handles overseas and at least one of the shooters, according to a counterterrorism source who has reviewed the data. Within minutes of the shooting, a series of tweets celebrated the men and spoke of a personal connection. I'm going to miss how he always used to speak, one wrote. Another tweet called the shooter a man of wisdom. There's a new call for action after a half dozen cases of ISIS recruitment of Americans, including Abdurrahman Sheikh Mohammed and Christopher Lee Cornell, were brought by the Justice Department in April. We're going to have a hearing in the Homeland Security Committee on ISIS use of social media, their recruitment, and uh, how our intel is gathering and how we're working with our allies to take the fight to ISIS overseas so they aren't continuing to attack us. Some of the best forensic evidence will now come from the suspect's car that was hauled away by investigators in Texas and from their Phoenix, Arizona apartment where the FBI is doing a forensic review of their computers and phones. The mother of Nadir Sufi said she understood the officer's actions. I don't blame the policeman that shot and killed him. He was just doing his job. 
The family of Elton Simpson emphasized in a statement today that they were also blindsided by their son's radicalization and his plan, Brett. Thank you. Well, one of those test Texas suspects... Oh, is okay, so there's, uh, there's Fox, Kurt. So you, it's, it's all neatly packaged at this point. This is uh, 48 hours after the event. It's all neatly packaged, the narrative, and then they have a few segues that they can go down uh, the F- FBI's forensic investigation and so forth. And uh, no one's questioning uh, what happened on the day. Uh, the, the press are not inquiring at all uh, about the you know, validity of the base story at all, not questioning the Twitter uh, accounts and this, you know, the incredible uh, anomalies there. None of that. It's all just business as usual, move along, and... And so, no, if you don't question the, she even mentioned Christopher Lee Cornell, this kid from Ohio that had an FBI informant as his handler and set him up, you know, t- took him, gave him the money to buy the, the ammo and the guns. And then they busted him at the gun, outside the gun shop, of course, and said he was on his way to bomb the White House. But, um, and that was interesting too, but that was a total setup, you know, this, kid has been radicalized by his informant uh you know i've got so many examples of this but there if if you take out the involvement behind the scenes the clandestine involvement and you you take that out and you ignore that or you you don't acknowledge that that exists and you continue to build these narratives of radical islam and the terror threat when you when you're not considering what's going on behind the scenes that and you're wanting to allocate billions of dollars to law enforcement to go and chase and find and fight this evil threat. It's as, to me, it's as, as ridiculous as saying we need to allocate all of those same resources to go, uh, uh we need our, our, our government to step up in the fight to chase and find UFOs. <laughs> right. It really isn't that bad. You have no evidence at all of ISIS involvement in this attack. Nothing except some very questionable Twitter accounts. So, But you hear in that, in that clip, we didn't hear any discussion of where the evidence of the ISIS involvement came from. We had no discussion of its validity or anything. It's merely now it's an accepted fact. ISIS was behind it, and now here's what we're going to do about it, or here's what we should. You know, and these are the talking points, and we'll move on. You know, the, the story as to the validity, validity of the evidence and where it came from has already been passed by 48 hours into the event. You'll never hear about it again. And that's what we see in all these terrorist attacks, even going back to 9-11, same thing. You know, the event happened, short discussion of the evidence. A couple days later, we're moving on, repeat the narrative 10 million times. Same thing, same thing in every one of them. And they're, you know, and they're talking about. I just saw this guy from Stanford, Sam Harris. I don't know if you've seen. He's a, he's a atheist uh, author, real celebrated in certain circles. But he, he's talking about. You know, we need to consider a, a, a nuclear first strike on Iran, and he just sees. Uh, Muslims as irreformable. In other words, they're beyond redemption. Uh, it's a violent religion. Uh, they want to. They want to wage jihad. Most Muslims want to wage jihad, uh, according to Sam Harris, this great academic brain, uh, who to me is a, a fascist hiding behind a pacifist veneer. But, um, so, but he doesn't acknowledge any clandestine involvement in anything and writes it all off as conspiracy theories. So, but he's built up this huge body of work, 
uh, saying that Islam is a threat and that they have extremist ideas and these need to be dealt with and this is how we should deal with them and we need to force convert them, not force convert them, but we need to reform Islam, which basically is another term for Inquisition in my book. But that, so those are apparently uh, this extremist problem. But we have most of the, if you interview people coming out of the film American Sniper, uh, coming out of the cinema when they're feeling really patriotic and you said, do you think we need to, we need a nuclear first strike on Iran? When they come out of that film, Kurt, most people, a lot of people who consider themselves to be patriotic are going to probably say yes, that just to be safe, we should maybe have a preemptive nuclear strike or some kind of a major military wage a war against Iran just in case they might be thinking about uh, developing a nuclear weapon. And that would kill hundreds of thousands of people. Now, that's not considered extremist, Kurt, uh, in this dialectic which has been constructed this american or israeli western centric clash of civilizations dialectic that's not extremist bombing civilians you know justifying the use of cluster bombs or white phosphorus or the the things that we saw at abu Ghraib prison or guantanamo bay the torture that's not extremist or running assassination programs overseas or or getting up in front of a congregation of uh you know, 30,000 people talking about the end of times, a messianic, uh, dispensationalist, evangelical uh, end times prophecy, which is upon us now, like Michelle Bachman said, you know, Jesus is on the way, we should get ready, the rapture's coming, the end of the world's coming, and they're working towards that. That, to me, is extremist, because they're not just talking about, you know, a suicide bomb, they're talking about ending all of humanity. That's extremist to me. So it, it it's it it just depends on what perspective you're looking at, and we have such a Western centric perspective that we're blind to the crazy. I mean, people saying we've got to turn turn Iraq into a glass crater, goddamn Arabs. You know, how many times did I hear that? Towel heads. Got we got to take out those towel heads. Turn that country into a glass crater. I heard that so many times during the Bush presidency. I can't even count. Is that not extremist rhetoric? They're talking about genocide. It is, but the people in the United States are so brainwashed that a lot of them would agree with you, with what you're saying here, to just nuke nuke uh, Iran, no problem. For nuclear first strike in Iran, I'd say most of them would agree with that. That's the extent of the brainwashing of the people in the United States. And I would say if you had... Um, you know, mainstream Americans listening to the show today, listening to me talk, a lot of them would say that, you know, I'm pro-Muslim and anti-Israel and anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, whatever. No, I am for the truth. I'm very neutral in all of this. But the people have been so far brainwashed, anti-Muslim, pro-Zionism, they don't even realize it. They think this is normal to just continually wage war against every country in the Middle East and kill millions of people for no reason at all. But it's drop nuclear bombs on people, that would be fine. And they're all fine with it because their hatred for Muslims is so extreme. Their brainwashing is so extreme. So and that's kind of, where we're at. It's kind of like, so it's a, it's, it's a really, a, it's a social engineering project that if you look at it, it's not that different, Kurt, than what 
took place in Nazi Germany uh, in, in, before and during the Second World War and how they demonized Jews, gypsies, Slavs, and other uh, interlopers, as they called them, uh, and justified uh, a pogrom in that country. It's the same thing, and it's all done under the banner of the flag, under national socialism, uh, patriotism, love or for... The Bi- or the Bible. Or the Bible, and, and, and again, Hitler even said uh, he was doing God's work. So he 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 also invoked religion, and a lot of people people don't realize that. You see it a lot from these extreme uh, religious evangelical groups too. They're quite fine with killing Muslims, extreme amounts of them, because they don't like that they support a different religion. They're okay with wiping them off the face of the earth. They think that's God's work and what God would want. And of course. You know, there there's this huge group of evangelicals that think that uh, Jews are God's people and are the master race, and anyone that goes against anything in support of Israel is going against what God would want and would send you to hell. So basically they're giving Israel and Zionists a free pass to do whatever they want to do. On religious grounds. On religious grounds. And there is a huge amount of these people in the United States and probably worldwide. I'm just more familiar with the United States. But they think that if they if they say anything negative against Israel or Zionist, who, by the way, may not be Jews at all, Zionists, some of them. Yeah, it can uh, be Christians. They, they can be Christians, too. Exactly. They think they're going to go to hell. So that's why you have this support for... Uh, you know, Israel uh, bombing, um, I, I'm losing my thought here. Gaza. Gaza. Of bombing Gaza and killing all the people there for no reason. You see this extreme evangelical group in favor of that, and they'll they'll say, well, you know, the people there were holding up their kids as human shields, and that's why they died and all this garbage. But They deserved the it. They deserved, they deserved it. it because they're holding their own kids up as human shields, and Israel has a re- right to retaliate against you know, this um, missile shot at them or what have you. But it's the same thing with the Muslims. They've developed this hate, and it's groupthink, and it's pushed by the people in these evangelical churches that they need to support Israel in all manners. And, of course, Israel and the United States government, for all intents and purposes, is one and the same. So that's why you have, and it's, it's a scary thought where this is leading, but you have this huge group of people in the United States, as well as possibly a majority of the United States government, wanting to wipe Muslims off the face of the earth, and this this is going to create the largest war ever, in my opinion, with probably billions of people dying. Yeah, this, it's a it's ethnic, not yeah, it is ethnic cleansing because be, below Muslim is there. You're talking about Arabs as well. You're talking about. Uh, uh, North Africans to some degree, but mainly Arabs, let's say. Uh, and this, is, this, is, this is typically who Israelis hate the most is Arabs. Um, they want to sort of at least get rid of them out of, out of Israel, uh, if not the greater Israel project, but they don't like them. Uh, they don't trust them. They think they're all killers and they think they all want to kill them. So, which isn't true. But I think it's an extremist minority throughout history, Kurt. The, 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 there's an old saying, the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. 
and the loudest, most vocal, most obnoxious uh, tends to get become the center of attention. And I believe that's what we have in America. There, it is a substantially big group. Uh, so at the moment, currently, we're seeing the right wing in America has whipped up their core support base into a huge frenzy of rampant nationalism. Okay, let's let's call it what it is. But it's beyond nationalism. It's like a subcult within nationalism that involves racism. That involves uh, kind of crazy jingoistic uh, sort of mixed with flag worship. Uh, that is something straight out of Hitler's playbook, quite frankly. So I see if I see fascism coming to America uh, through these contrived threats, and and that's exactly what happened in Germany. Exactly. It's not going to be the same as in Germany. It's not going to happen like it did in Germany, but it's the same methodology in terms of uh, social conditioning and brainwashing and getting half the people afraid of something that's not gen- not actually a threat, uh, believing in an existential threat, which is, well, in the case of Islamic terrorism, is a creation of uh, Western intelligence agencies, as far as I can see historically. That we're, we're responsible of for building, creating, and nurturing this so-called existential threat to our existence, which isn't a threat at all to our existence. But that, that's where we're at. Right. You know, when I lived in Detroit before I left the U.S. or just outside Detroit, I lived very close to Dearborn, Michigan, which is the biggest, uh, which has the biggest population of Muslims in the entire United States. Yep. And a lot of them were my friends. I, I a lot of Lebanese, with, a lot of Lebanese in Dearborn. I dealt with them on a daily basis, going into businesses or you know going to the courthouse, having a lot of them as clients. I had a lot, lot of contacts. Never any terrorist attacks. Never any problems. They're nice people. Yeah, they they have some different beliefs. Yeah, they dress a little different, but they're fine. They got along with everyone. You know. If terrorism was such a big threat, you would have seen multiple suicide bombings outside Detroit, car bombings. You'd probably see them on a daily basis. And you know what? There's a, there's a large Jewish population near Detroit, too. And everybody mingled and mixed fine. Everybody got along fine. And you can see how the, the regular people actually get along. But I, I, I think a majority of the United States, there's such a low population of Muslims, or perhaps none, (laughs) people don't get to mingle with them like I have. They don't get to see them on a daily basis and see that they're fine. All they see is, oh, there's a radical Muslim cleric, you know, here, you know, they did this bombing, and they never have any day-to-day contact with everyday Muslims. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And they don't get the experience that I have to see that they're just ordinary people, they're a little different, sure, but, you know, they're fine. They're fine. They're not a threat. And I think if if everyone in the United States could have the experience that I've had, maybe maybe there would be a different attitude. But you're right. There's such a low population, below 1%, I believe, uh, Muslims in the United States, that people don't get the opportunity that I've had. And all they hear about Muslims is the propaganda they see on TV. 
Yeah, well below 1%. I would say it's point yeah. not something percent. But it, and that's the common thread with our congressmen and senators. I'd say like maybe 80% of congressmen and senators have been to the Middle East, but they haven't been to Arab countries. They've been, guess where? To Israel. So they've right. been there on their sort of normal fundraising junkets when, uh, you know, fact finding missions or, you know, religious pilgrimages, but they've been to Israel. They haven't been definitely not into the occupied territories. Uh, maybe a handful, uh, Cynthia McKinney, who's not, I don't think she's in Congress anymore, but she'd be one that's been to Palestine and maybe a couple of others, but you know, they, ne- they've never been to any real, uh, Arab countries or seen how things, how life gets on as, as normal and how people have normal lives. So they have this, this view of this polarized world, which is fed to them, uh, with an Israeli centric, uh, foreign view. And it's not altogether healthy because Israel is a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year, high-alert security state. And that's mostly down to the fact that uh, they're running this giant open prison uh, called Palestine for the last 70 years. So, of course, they're going to have to deal with it in this way. So, uh, and that's the that is the common thread, Kurt, is that None, these people speak about Muslims, they speak about Arabs and Islam, but none of them have been to really travel around the Middle East. They don't really know what they're talking about. They're, they're lumping all of these cultures and people and, and races in many cases into this, uh, one sort of pot, which they call Islam, and basically inferring that we're at war with Islam, uh, here in the West, in the United States. And it's, it's a completely, uh, contrived dialectic that has really been constructed mainly for a long time, but mainly intensely over the last 15 years. Without a doubt. And you have to remember that a lot of the people in Congress and Senate get there due to huge donations from pro-Israeli groups or pro-Zionist groups. So, you know, there's also that aspect. And if you come out and say you're, you're pro-Palestine or against Israel, well, there'll be huge donations to the person running against you. Yep. So there, there's, there's that aspect, too. So you can't really have an open discussion of this in Congress or in the Senate, you know, at this day and time because of the overwhelming control of the pro-Israeli lobby and the amount of money they have, uh, as compared to the pro-Muslim lobby, if there even is a pro-Muslim lobby, I don't know. If there is, they don't have much funding. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they're starting to get they're starting to get uh, clued up on that, and they're they're trying, but they're they're pretty late into the game. But yeah, there is there is a there is a pro-Muslim lobby international, and they they've got offices in washington they've got various organizations they're getting smarter but they're well behind the eight ball you know they've got an uphill battle they'll have to keep keep fighting that that game of uh you know financing influence in u.s politics is going to take uh, years and years for them to develop any kind of a, a network but you know i don't know in a hundred years palestine could palestinians could be the new jews they could or 200 years, they could be repatriated back to their homeland in Palestine, and then they're the new chosen ones. Who knows how it's going to play out in in our weird weird human history? But all I can say, Kurt, uh, 
is that you know people talk about the Quran being this and that. I mean, you look at the Old Testament. Look at the Old Testament, the he- the Hebrew Bible. You look at some of the stuff in there, and uh, it's 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 talking about the destruction. You know, there's genocide in there. This uh, you know Saul and you know Saul and the genocide of the Malachites and the uh, Armageddon and you know it's the Book of Revelations and there's people obsessed with those aspects of the Old Testament in in our Christian uh, community and they're they're making the identical accusations that um, radical Islamists who are obsessed with the similar uh, passages in the Quran. And they're both exactly the same in my book. I agree. It, it's the pot calling the kettle black in a lot of these instances. You know, you can you look at these religious books that you mentioned. You can find basically anything you want to find there. If you're if you're looking for support for your type of ideology, you'll find it. You'll find a verse or you know a portion of it that will support it. You know, you have to ignore ignore all the rest that's against it, but you can find it there. And it, it comes down to re- religious extremists on both sides here that are causing uh, this problem, okay. if you ask me. And, and uh, another story just popped up yesterday, Kurt, and we'll, we'll, we'll end with this because this, this is where I think we need to end. Um, Abby Martin, who used to be a, a, a show host for Breaking the Set on RT America, she's an activist. Uh, probably I would call her an activist before a journalist, but I would say, yeah, she's an activist and former uh, host of RT America. And she released a, a, a photograph. There's a story on 21st Century Wire about this, by the way, if you, if anyone's interested. She released a photograph of her. She has a T-shirt company now. She left RT. She sells designer shirts with political stuff on them. She's kind of like the American Catherine Hamnet now. And uh, it said F-U-C-K. I won't say the word on air, but uh, you know the word, F-U-C-K, Chris Kyle. And when she released that on Instagram, she got uh, immediately uh, death threats. Uh, her name and address and family's details were circulated on sniper forums from their followers of the cult of Chris Kyle. And uh, so she got death threats and all the rest of it, and rape threats, everything you can imagine. Really ugly, okay? So that's Abby Martin. So she's weighed in there, and obviously the, the similarities to the Pamela Geller uh, instigation are interesting. But I, I'm, not, I'm not saying she should be, uh, law enforcement should take those threats seriously, and uh, she has a right to make any T-shirt she wants. However, Kurt, my question is, is this what America is coming to? This is the ugly America, in my opinion, where we have to shove it in each other's faces. Muhammad cartoons or Chris Kyle or whatever, there's no more civility left, and we have to shove this down to prove our uh, whatever free speech credentials uh, to this, this ugly conversation. And is that what America is becoming? It, it's going to get worse before it gets better, Kurt, and I'll bet you, I know where this is headed, the government's going to, the, the nanny state's going to step in and restrict free speech because of this so-called festive this this circus of free speech that we're seeing right now i i this is un-american to me this kind of uh this this lack of decorum or lack of civil discussion or debate that's what i see kurt and it it makes me sad in a way well it's un-american 
for the America that I grew up in, for the America today, I think it's absolutely normal. I don't support it. But you have you have the media and the government through many years uh, spouting off this type of propaganda, pitting one group against the other, whether it's gays versus straight people, mm-hmm. Muslims versus Christians, exactly. black versus white. Yep. Um, you name it, they, and they encourage it. The media and the government encourages it. So, no, I don't think you're going to see the government step in as much as it likes to destroy the Constitution because I think this is exactly what the government wants. It wants a huge war. It wants the people fighting each other, killing each other, because it knows that the economy is about to collapse. And if the economy collapses, Hundreds of millions of people will be looking for people to blame being the politicians and bankers, and what better way to deflect blame than to have the people fighting with each other instead of coming after the politicians and bankers' heads. So that's how I see it. I don't think you'll see a crackdown on free speech for that reason. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, divided on, on along so many lines, multiple lines, along the lines you've mentioned there. And maybe even gender lines. Maybe that's on the way with uh, with Hillary Clinton. The accentuation of the the gender divide in the United States, the gender wars. Uh, and after that, I guess the last one, Kurt, is the, is the old uh, culture wars. Uh, you know, real class warfare. Uh, that's that card hasn't fully be, been pulled yet, but I'm sure it's on the way. So. But uh, that's that's where we're heading, folks. That's where we're heading. Kurt, um, I want to thank you very much for your time and uh, great discussion, as usual, uh, on this. And we'll be keeping an eye on it, and uh, no doubt we'll be uh, exchanging information on this and uh, similar events. And we'll hopefully uh, be you know publishing some of that on 21st Century Wire. Sounds good. Happy to happy to come on the show anytime. And give give a shout out to you. Are you doing any more? Uh, guest hosting at the uh the power hour radio show kurt yeah i am i i um i fill in for joyce riley on the power hour every other tuesday so my next show will be on uh may the 19th so you can catch me there subbing in for joyce riley on the power hour may 19th yeah you can plug into the power hour at their website powerhour.com i believe it is i'm not sure correct uh, and the powerhour.com and also a GCM uh, Genesis Communication Network uh, as well. You can plug into the Power Hour there. So Kurt's subbing uh, for Joyce Riley uh, every other Tuesday, and uh, so you can catch him there. That's going to be really interesting, uh, whatever Kurt's doing there. I'm sure it's going to be worthwhile listening to, so you want to check that out. But that's Kurt Haskell, ladies and gentlemen, uh, piping in live from uh, Central America. And uh, we do appreciate uh, his time and his insight on these very important issues. Thank you very much, Kurt.